Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fortress Comic News, episode 355. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside my coaster, Mike. What's going on, Mike? Hey, hey. Uh, nothing much. Bright and sunny Sunday as we record. So, uh, thanks to Punk's Tawny Phil for promising an early spring. <laughs> you don't the, need an uh, early. Oh, well, you've gotten winter. I haven't gotten winter. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's been a fairly mild winter for us uh, North Northeasterners. But I will say, uh, <laughs> very interesting. People like brought up brought up Punk's Tawny Phil at work, and some people feel like very strongly like against i was like i didn't know you could get so mad about a poor little groundhog that we keep in a cage all year but mike we live in a world where you have to have an opinion about everything yeah but either way i i stopped and i said so you believe meteorology is better science like well i don't believe that either i'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) i would believe a groundhog i would believe several name several groundhogs with the name poxitani phil because there's more than one they just like i don't know did you pick one out of the litter (laughs) And uh, did you see um some you know how they make like uh like sports hype videos? Mm-hmm. Like I, I know NFL does it a lot because I always mm-hmm. like whenever the Eagles put one out, I get fucking I'm ready to fucking punch a wall, dude. Yeah. Uh somebody did that, but they did it for Poxitani Phil. Nice. And it's fucking hilarious, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Uh we do have an interview today, everybody. Frank Martin will be on the show. Let's get that out of the way before we start bullshitting. But yeah, Frank's uh, good people. Yeah, we're gonna talk to him about all the stuff he's got going on. Uh, so looking forward to that. I will say, I just found out that um, there's been these commercials preparing for the Super Bowl with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it's for like it's for an insurance company, but. So I, I saw that Arnold Schwarzenegger was like doing talk show interviews and I thought it was because he had a new movie out. <laughs> Apparently it's just because they're like, like, no, he, Mike, they, he does. Oh, it's he agent does? state farm. Yes. Yeah. It's a, yeah <laughs> this agent state farm thing that it's like, how much money did they spend on this guy to film this like action movie? I wonder how long this commercial is going to be. Is what I, I don't know, but I'm really stoked for the commercials. <laughs> I don't care about that. I game love Arnold Schwarzenegger, by the way. I want to, uh, I wanted to throw it out there. Also, uh, do you ever read yeah. his autobiography? His no autobiography. <laughs> yeah, I really want to though. Uh, Dude, it's yeah. a thousand pages. Is it really? Yes, it's huge. I know this because I've read it. <laughs> you muted your mic. I don't know how that happened. I want to read it, um, but I will say, uh, kind of a tangent to. Arnold Schwarzenegger, rest in peace to Carl Withers, uh, this week passed away. Those mighty ass biceps in, uh, in predator when they high five each other. (laughs) It's so funny. Cause like, it's not funny that he died. It's terrible. No, 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 no. Like no, I, I, I love, I love Carl Weathers. Yeah. But it's really funny because everybody was like posting their favorite Carl Weathers stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was predator and it was Rocky. Mostly. Yeah. Right. Some people threw out Mandalorian. Yep. I posted my heartfelt goodbye to Carl Weathers saying, I hope that he's making a good stew up in heaven. Mm. And nobody understood the reference, which proved to me that none of you watched arrested development. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did a long time ago, <laughs> but I try to. For, I I would well, I would say that's my favorite Carl Weather Weathers. Uh, mine is Happy Gilmore. Yes, that was the other one I saw. The, yeah. the, the image crocodile. of him in the crocodile <laughs> waving goodbye in heaven. 
Yeah. Uh, and then he's like playing oh, We've Only Just Begun with both hands in heaven yeah. on a piano. That's how I picture Carl Withers now. Uh, good stuff. Such an iconic uh, actor. I mean, man, I want to like go back and watch Predator this week just because of that. Dude was fucking jacked. You had to put somebody across from from Arnold Schwarzenegger and like his prime action movie Predator to give him a high five and not break the guy in half. And <laughs> he stood up to him. well, full circle. He was like a star um, college football player. He was. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if he ever made it to the NFL, but big dude. It's actually find that really out. Good question, Carl. And then, like like you said, it was it was such a nice, a nice like re reigniting of his career to be in Mandalorian, in front of so many fans again. Yeah, that was really great to see him in it. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Weathers played college football for for the San San Diego State Aztecs. Wow, uh, and signed with the Oakland Raiders. Oh damn! Okay, after going undrafted in 1970. Um. Does it say how many years he played? So he played about four years, and then he went to the Canadian Football League. And then he somehow got involved with acting. That's crazy. Yeah, so. Wow. So, yeah, so, I mean, that explains why he was jacked. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm just thinking about this now because he, like, you know, we had this guy that played across from Sylvester Stallone, and then he played across from, Arnold Schwarzenegger and like the height of action movies um, was never an action hero on his own. And also uh, not like, was he ever part of the expendables movie franchise? How do you not call up Carl Weathers? That's to a make great sure... question. I'm just thinking about, there's been four expendables movie. I don't remember seeing a Carl Weathers on there. Of course, Carl, like late in his career, you could tell he was thinning out. Like, yeah. not, not like he was sickly, but he wasn't. I mean, most of those guys in the Expendables movies are skeletons. <laughs> I, get sh- yeah, I mean, they're all... Well, I, mean, I know... Early I, listen, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't watched many of the Expendables movies. Oh, but okay. I know um, Sylvester Stallone was caught doing H2H. steroids. Oh, hell yeah. They're all doing H2H. Um, <laughs> it would not shock me if yeah. Sylvester Stallone was. Yes. Like, those guys were doing some shit to keep themselves going. I think Carl was trying to, like, be normal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> from my from my knowledge of those things, when I I cared about them a lot more back in college, I will say that uh, when you see guys like Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger that are still like have muscle mass or like building muscle mass, it's not natural, <laughs> especially at that age. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can get injections from your doctor nowadays, but like, yeah, I remember Sylvester got caught. He was going into Burma to film the Rambo movie, and he got caught with HGH. It was like what do you thought you guys are? He was just building muscle on his own at like 70 years old. That's not yeah. how that works. Yeah. But good for so, those guys. Like I was, you know, as I'm one to do sitting around thinking of the show mm-hmm. the other day, of course. And, uh, no, I was, I was doing the math. So we're on episode 355. 355. Yeah. Our 400th episode is going to hit in the middle of December. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Where we normally kind of chill the show out and take a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this December, I guess we're not chilling out so much and taking a break. Or we take the break and film 400 <laughs> after the break, which might be. 
start the year off with 400? We'll, we'll figure. I got plenty of time to plan that out. But I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, why does 400 have to land in the middle of December? <laughs> yeah, because most likely people don't want to talk to us around the holidays. They're done. They're like, I worked all year. Yeah. I want to talk to these idiots. I don't know why people want to talk to us now, to be honest. But the show must go on, Chris. We have a little bit of news here. Um, uh, we're going to start off with what we watched. I didn't watch Delicious in Dungeon yet this week, uh, but but I did. So I was at the store and I looked up the manga. So I guess like each couple episodes, two to three episodes is like a volume of the manga, right? Or something. It seems I, like three episodes. I think so, because uh, this episode gets outside of... Actually, the last episode, too, was outside of what I read in that yeah. first volume. I picked up the second volume. Okay. So I'm going to read that soon. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's what it seems. And that makes sense, because each chapter is a recipe in the manga. Mm-hmm. Where in the show, it's like two, sometimes three recipes per episode. Yep. But uh, I guess I'll just go into issue or find or Jesus. One of, one of the, one of the five. five. Yeah. <laughs> <that's fine. laughs> um, so a lot of cool stuff here. We get another adventuring crew and kind of their journey and what they're all about. Yeah. And that's really a setup to get to the first uh, the first dish, if you will. Oh. And they end up dying. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> And our adventurers find them, and there's just like coins everywhere. There's treasure everywhere, and they're gonna do the right thing. And they put like a spell over them so they don't become zombies. Mm-hmm. Collect all their coin and push it to the side, in like on their person, so that they can keep it. And that's when they find out the coins are actually bugs, and that's what killed them. Oh shit! And that's, that's our crazy. first recipe, Mike, is bugs that are disguising themselves as coins. This show is so smart. <laughs> What's really funny is the the dwarf character, he tells them like, oh, these ones are edible and these ones aren't. Yeah. And never says anything about it. So they dump the unedible ones over this giant bridge and just throw uh-huh. it out. And after that happens in typical like, you know, anime yeah, cartoon yeah. style, they're like, so why are those? How do you know they're not on? They're not edible. And he goes, oh, well, real treasure isn't edible. You'd break your teeth on it. And they all freak out. Like, we just threw all that treasure. That. <laughs> Great. So funny. And then uh yeah, that's amazing. That leads into the second part, which is these like ghosts are in the dungeon following the crew, and they're slowly starting to like defeat them. But Mm -hmm. the dwarf knows how to make holy water, and it's hilarious how he makes it because he's just like, Oh yeah, like you know, he takes all these different myths from different uh religions out there and like creates holy water. Yeah. Puts it in a jar and then just attaches a rope to it and then just starts smacking these ghosts with this jar of holy water. <laughs> I love this show, dude. It's fucking brilliant, dude. And that <laughs> through that process, because the jar goes through the ghost, but the holy water is what hits them. So uh, when you keep it in the jar, that's what creates kind of the mace. It's like smacking. And we all know, Mike, that when you go through a ghost, it's very cold. Yeah. You get that cold sensation when you go yeah, through a ghost. Yeah, of course. So it chills the bottle, and because they're knocking around, do you know where I'm going with this? No. They make sorbet ice cream. Oh, my God. <laughs> so the second recipe is holy water sorbet ice holy cream. Holy water sorbet. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Uh, some good moments. We get to learn more about like the girl who died um, that they're trying to save. That's amazing. And some good like character moments throughout it. But those are the two big recipes. Shows a fucking blast. I just can't tell you how much I'm enjoying. It's better it. and better with every episode. I, I, yeah. I'm like I'm just debating buying all the volumes of the manga because it's, it's like why not? Yeah, it's one of those. This show got me even more. Like I love that first volume when yeah. I read it, but this show got me even more excited for it, and now I want to keep reading. Mm-hmm. And you'd think I'll be curious to see how long like the charm of it can last because there's a lot of volumes, Mike. But it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that's my thing is how long can they keep up these awesome, unique, like fun yeah. recipes and everything. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I worry about a little bit. Cause I do sometimes with manga, I do notice that stuff. That's kind of a one trick pony mm-hmm. gets old after a while, but we'll see. Yeah. I'm not saying that's going to happen with this. I'm loving it right now. I think it's one of the best things cool. that you can watch right now. So yeah, yeah I, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I will water say sorbet. That's... <laughs> holy water sorbet. I did finish uh Masters of the Universe Revolution. It was really good. Um the, the whole like super jacked Tila, super jacked uh prince at the end of them like we have the power that they like make out. I was like, this is such a Kevin Smith show. <laughs> and then the whole like um just like a lot of the lines they're just like so cheesy i'm like you know and like i don't know if you noticed all the alliterations this season like uh i don't know i can't even think of one right now but it's like manly uh menacing but there was a lot of iteration i know like kevin smith is a big fan of that shit so Mm -hmm. uh fun season i hope we get some more um we do have that like reveal at the end of like another big bad coming uh but yeah, I like the way they do this with like the small mini series. Like it's almost like a movie each season. You yeah. know, it's about a couple hours of worth of television. So uh, I I really like it. It's the same thing that Castlevania does. That I yeah think makes it so good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I so we were talking a little bit the the I'm bad with names, but the um the big bad above mm-hmm. Skeletor. Yeah, I can't think of his name right now. But the guy who plays him mm-hmm. is another like really big voice acting name. Yeah. Just actor name. Yep. Um, that I was trying hinting at last week. So anybody that was like kind of wondering about that, that's what I was getting at. And I didn't want to spoil that for Mike. And they had uh Tony Tony Todd came back in the first episode. Yes. Yeah. And then I like the the twist that the character that William Shatner's playing, mm-hmm. the uncle. Yeah, it's actually just Skeletoral. Yeah, yeah, that was. Oh, what did they call him though? They're like, "You were Kelador, now you're Skeletor." That was the line. And I was like, "Come on, guys, what the <laughs> fuck?" <laughs> of course, like I'm watching the show, and that's like the that's the scene that like Katie walks in and she's like, "Wow, what are you watching?" And I was like, "I swear, it's way cooler than they make it sound." It's like, man, and uh, I, I think it's funny that William Shatner becomes mark hamill yes yeah but that's that's great yeah no it's it's great yeah that, um, that whole thing and the whole like ending where it's like now we're a democracy yeah <laughs> like oh yeah this is like all right, right guys like yeah. this is gonna go know. really well some of that fighting though the fight the like the final scene where they're like fighting and like 
the ships are like crashing in the background, like the giant warships and stuff, like behind Castle Grayskull. I'm like, this is fucking sick. Yeah. Because, uh, like, you know, all the He Man cartoons back in the day, they're like fighting in like Castle Grayskulls in the back. Nothing's happening, but I'm like watching all these ships crash into the ground and stuff. And then uh, Prince Adam with the Hulkbuster suit going through the <laughs> ship and destroying it. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was so funny. There's a Hulkbuster suit. Yeah, I was like, "There's a that's Hulkbuster." They just put like man at arms and Hulkbusters. Yeah, <laughs> uh, still a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I'd say even yeah. if you're not a He-Man fan, check out the. I mean, check out the Revelations first. Yeah, this... start with the whole new series. It's great. But yeah, it's not a really great show. Uh, movie stuff. I just want to get right out from the gate here. I watched Beekeeper because uh, it's so I'm on this kick of like cheesy action jason statham movies like with the meg and the meg 2 about the giant shark those are fantastic movies oh the beekeeper okay the beekeeper it is so it's first off it's a david ayer movie i haven't watched a david ayer movie since uh suicide squad i will say like this dude this dude okay he hasn't changed i mean like you could watch the film and know it's a david ayer the way it's directed he's almost turned into like a meme of himself, but he like takes scenes so seriously, like even in movies like this, that it's like, it's like comedic to watch. And it's so first off, I really enjoyed the movie. It's a terrible movie, but like <laughs> that. So there's a, okay. It's about what you expect. Uh, Jason Statham is a beekeeper. Okay. But he's also a beekeeper. Like, the beekeepers are these, like, it's basically like John Wick. It's like a secret society that, works above the cia and well, that's what we need yeah so they like they basically <laughs> there's a beekeeper that keeps the hive they like they, they like work for the little people to keep structure and order throughout the i don't know throughout the u.s i don't know what the hell they but like there's a lot of lines in the movie they're like he's a is he a beekeeper beekeeper they're like yeah and i'm like who writes this shit it's so bad but the bee puns are amazing it's basically john wick with bee puns because like they go in they kill his bees and the kid, the young kid is played by, uh, he's the dude for hunger games, but, uh, PETA from hunger games. I don't know. I don't know the actor's name, but he's basically playing, uh, one of the, one of the Paul brothers, like Jake or Logan Paul, who I absolutely, absolutely despise. Like that's, he's literally cosplaying as one of them. He's got like the, the hair, the earrings. And he like, he like is like a little shit that like has a lot of money. His dad used to run the CIA, but his dad finds out that he like fucked with the beekeeper and he's like, I can't help you. Oh, his dad is just played by Jeremy Irons out of nowhere. So you have like you have Alfred playing Alfred, which is like so strange. But he's like, it's it's the same thing that happens in John Wick where he's like, oh, yeah, you fucked with the wrong dude. I wish I could help you. Uh, we could send like a, a team of assassins, but it's not going to hold up. And so like Jason Statham pretty much kills everybody. Uh, and then it j- the movie just ends with him like putting on a scuba suit, diving in the water, and getting away. And that's how it ends. And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> like, it was insane." It's it's a it was a fun watch, but like some of the lines, I'm just like, "Dear God, it's just, this." He's like, and every time Jason Statham like goes to kill somebody, he's like, "I gotta clean out the hornet's nest." And like, it's all <laughs> B puns. I wish I was joking. The amount of B puns are like. He's like, ah, he's like, I'll find the queen bee. And I'm like, oh, my God. You think you're giving a bad review, but you're really selling this movie for me. Oh, dude, I know you're good. I know you'll like it because I, I liked it. it. Like, it's I, it's such a weird it was such a weird dynamic of like, this is the worst movie I've seen all year. But it's also like 
one of the most enjoyable movies I've seen. I this is a weird transition, but you'll understand yeah. when I get there. Uh-huh. I a friend of mine that uh, told me about this YouTube channel called Bullets and Blockbusters. Have you ever okay. heard of it? No, never. Okay, I think you would like it. Okay, the whole thing of it is like they take the versions of movies that we didn't get. So they do a whole series on like he does a lot of comic book movies. So okay. like. The first ones I watched were all the DC ones. So he does like, what was Snyder's plan for the Snyderverse? Right. Like, what was he originally going to do? Mm-hmm. And and then kind of like throws in like what went wrong along the way. Yeah. And uh, he's done other ones too. Like, some of the out there ones are like Apocalypse Now, but George Lucas's version. Oh, God. Because he was originally supposed to direct it. Yeah, right. Um, uh, Spider-Man 3. But like what Sam Raimi actually wanted to do, mm-hmm. uh, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, yeah. so he does one on uh, the air cut mm-hmm. and like what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there going like, all right, like that does sound a little bit more interesting than the movie we got. It still doesn't sound good, guys. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, I think the, the new Suicide Squad movie will always be far better and the right tone that we needed. Yeah, because they they sell it as this like dark and like dreary movie about it's basically a Joker and Harley movie. Yeah. Where like, it's all about Harley, like escaping from uh Joker. And then it was supposed to tie into justice league because Steppenwolf was really going to be the one like pulling the strings the whole mm-hmm. time. So like, it, like I said, it's his version is way more interesting. Right. But yeah, still not. Great. But anyways, check out yeah. Bullets and Blockbusters if you remember. Okay. Cuz dude, they even go into like uh one of my favorite ones was uh Tim Burton's third Batman movie. Oh. And like cool. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So like if you like, like behind the, uh, the scenes yeah, Hollywood that's stuff. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. That's that's sick. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um all right. Rest of the movie news we got here. DC Films gave us some news about the upcoming Supergirl movie. We learned this week that Supergirl will be played by uh, Millie Alcock, who uh, and looks to be released in late 2025, early 2026. So first off, Miley, or I think it's Miley or Millie. I think it's Millie. Uh, she was great in the new Game of Thrones spinoff in HBO. As uh, oh. she played, she plays like the one of the um, Targaryen. Uh, descendants i don't really know where in the bloodline but she she did a fantastic job so i actually have seen her in something and i think she would make a really good supergirl so i'm pretty pumped about that yeah like i i trust uh james gunn mm-hmm. and crew and what they're doing I, yeah. I mean until they let me down i don't see a reason not to and i i've started that tom king uh supergirl series i haven't finished it yet and i will say it's it's really good uh and I would almost say it's like, it's not even like a Supergirl. It's almost like high fantasy is what it reminds me of. Like, that's the way he treats oh. the story. Uh, where it's like Supergirl on different planets and stuff, but it's just weird. It feels like this it has like this fantasy. It doesn't feel like a, it's not like your typical soups book, if I can say that. So I think Tom King's done a good job with the character. Interesting. Be, and I'll she be... like doesn't take any shit, you know, she's just like, doesn't give a fuck kind of thing. Interested to hear more when you finish it. I, I'm yeah. just looking at pictures of her. Yeah. 
And I think my only, I'll be interested to see how they do, how she changes her look for it. Because yeah. I think she has the right face yep. for Supergirl. She has a very wiry body, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I don't know. You could do that for Supergirl. I yeah. always kind of picture Supergirl. Not like I picture Supergirl like fucking She-Hulk. Like all no, but like out. Melissa Melissa Benoit or Ben. Benos from Supergirl the show. She was, I mean, she was fairly skinny, but she like bulked up for sure. But yeah, for she that. had some yeah. muscle on her. Yeah, like, and that's how I picture tall, Supergirl. Yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. very broad-shouldered. Not even that, just just yeah. muscular fit, almost yeah. like an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, while while obviously being gorgeous, but right, that body type is always what I picture. So it'd be interesting if they don't do that and they keep her like very wiry we'll see yeah. usually people even i mean men that, women whoever unless you're zachary levi and you just put on a suit but yeah. they usually bulk up for these yeah zachary levi do you have muscles in your suits because <laughs> that's I'm what we were that because yeah. i'm like halfway through shazam 2 right now yeah and you're and like I can oh, think yeah. when i'm watching it is i'm like you're wearing a suit you didn't yeah yeah you didn't bulk up at all for that because <laughs> that was the first gripe we heard about him is like he's gonna be shazam that dude is that the dude that played chuck it's gonna be Shazam. Yeah, and look, look, I love that first Shazam movie, and I'm yeah. enjoying the movie so far. Yeah, but yeah, like he's he does not have the body of a superhero. No, and I would say that I mean those were the initial concerns when uh, Gal Gadot was announced for Wonder Woman, right? Because she was a was like, I thought a, she was always kind of because she was a a model at first. But well, I don't know if she that was, she was uh, in uh, the Israeli special forces. Yeah, I don't know how how much like she had. Bul- I think she had bulked up quite a bit to be to be in the Wonder Woman suit. Like, but again, I mean, but that's the, the and that's her her yeah, body. Yeah, like, that's what I picture for like right. Supergirl. Like she yep. has the perfect. She's yep. not fucking all like ripped up testosterone jacked woman body. Yeah. She's just yeah. very athletic and but mm-hmm. looks like at the same time like she could snap my fucking neck yeah which is how i should feel when i see Supergirl. <laughs> yeah i don't know i've always seemed like supergirl too always looks like you like her like she's not supposed to be intimidating i would say right when she's like in the in the room you wouldn't think no. oh she can snap my neck but then she does and you're like oh fuck <laughs> no but i but, see yeah. i see women at the gym who yeah. are like obviously either athletes currently or ex-athletes keeping that figure yeah and that's what i think like a -hmm. woman doesn't have like a guy has to do what fucking hugh jackman does for the one of these roles and fucking well you have a 20 pack (laughs) yeah and dehydrate himself yeah yeah well that's like all the all the dc i think all the dc actors they have them like lifting weights like uh, yeah same with marvel like all the yeah. marvel they're all like deadlifting and then shooting like you had you had people like michael shannon off screen for man of steel like deadlifting yeah <laughs> michael shannon doesn't want to deadlift in between like this dude is he's not at the gym every day <laughs> well think of chris pratt when he was hired i know oh, everybody loves true. to hear about yeah. chris pratt but yeah. like that dude was not thin yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day they have an army of like <laughs> an army of dietitians and like people to tell you to like lift the weights for you pretty much yeah. to get you where you need to be. So. <laughs> but yeah, but that, uh, that diatribe aside, I love the, the choice. I think she is. Yeah. She's, no, she's a great, like a great actress. She's really and... good in Game of Thrones for sure. Or the like, House of Dragon. Sorry. Yeah. And she has the look um, in terms of like her. Yeah. Her, her face. Yeah. Um, 
we know Chris likes to bring up how successful Dogman is. You know, at least call me out. Why don't you? Once every couple <laughs> interviews, uh, and it's it's uh, it's doing even better now because they just announced that the comic series is getting a movie. DreamWorks, of course, is going to be working on a film with director Peter Hastings, and set to release January thirty first, twenty twenty five. Nice. Nice. I, yeah, I'm surprised it took this long. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't believe it did. They must have had to like hash out who's going to get what money. Well, DreamWorks does the Captain Underpants stuff, which is the same yeah. comic creator. Right. Uh, I don't, maybe he asked for more money because he's like, listen, yeah. you, you made a shitload of money off my Captain Underpants stuff, and this thing is way more popular. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, but... It's everywhere. That's exciting. That's That movie's going to make a billion dollars. <laughs> The movie's gonna be huge. Oh yeah, like yeah. everybody is gonna go see that. Not just be, not because like you or I want to go see that, but no. because all the kids are going to see that, and that means all the parents have to go. Yeah, see it. everybody. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> going for that movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Good for them. Yeah, all right, everybody, we're gonna jump to an interview with uh, Mr. Frank Martin, and we'll see you all on the other side. All right, everybody, we've got another very special guest for you all. I want everybody to welcome to the show, Frank Martin. Welcome to the show, Frank. No, not just a special guest, the specialist the, guest. The specialist the guest. Most special of special <laughs> guests. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll go with that. The special, the specialist of all specialists, Frank. Frank Martin, everybody. Uh, it is a first time guest, so I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show for the first time. Long overdue. Yeah, long overdue. Thank you for having me. Yeah, where the hell have you been? Why haven't you been on? But no, we won't give you too much. <laughs> well, I don't know. Recording in the middle of the day on Sunday in the middle of football season. Hey, there's uh, no games today, so that's how we. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why I fit it into yeah. my schedule. Yeah, we're like, wow, we don't, we know he's not doing anything today until next that's, week, right? That's, listen, Frank, uh, Mike. Mike claims he no longer cares about football. It, it kind of. Honestly, you very uh, conveniently happened around the time Tom Brady retired, but that definitely has nothing to do with it, Mike, right? <laughs> Not at all, dude. Not at all. It has nothing. Yeah. The goat retired? I didn't notice. What do you mean? <laughs> no. I thought he was going to come back and play for the Jets this season. I thought yeah, that was a, well, that would have been a wonderful story. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> So, this is a football podcast. What are we doing? No, yeah, the maybe, true maybe the, sometimes. What's really going to happen is the Bills are once again next season going to flounder and just fail. That's what the Bills do, mm-hmm. and Classic they're going to bring in Bill Belichick as the coach mm. in twenty twenty five. Yeah, and that's what's going to get them over the hump. He's going to whip them into shape, <laughs> and then all Bills fans are going to be really mad because they all claim to hate him, but they really want a Super Bowl. Yeah. That would be the that would be the fitting end to the story. Maybe I'd care about football again, but I don't. So here we are talking about comedy. <laughs> uh, well, I, I had no good segue for it, Frank. But we're gonna come back and talk about your origin story because I know you've you know since you've um, decided to come on the show today, you've had a few books since then, obviously. But um, we got to do the annoying thing of putting you through the gauntlet and giving us an origin story of. Uh, where it started for you writing comics and creating comics and, and how that all came about. So I've always primarily been a writer. I loved writing in like elementary school, middle school. I kind of just wrote fan fiction, prose stuff. 
And I, I was reading comics at that time, but I never really put the idea of writing and comics together mm -hmm. until, I don't know, maybe I hit college. I'm like, I, I think I could give this a shot. And I realized it was a lot harder than, than it appears to be. <laughs> it's not as just easy as writing words down and making artists draw them. Yep. Um, so I started writing short stories. I kind of, I cut my teeth on a lot of the internet forums that they had where they just, they have like five page writing competitions every week. So I have like, I don't know, 35 page sto short stories on my computer, just from those boot, boot camp days, I'm just trying mm -hmm. to figure it out. And I went from short stories to building up one shots, uh, crowdfunding them into mini series, and then kind of eventually somehow built myself up to doing six launches a year. So that's, and that, that's an impressive feat there. So uh, as a, I would say amateur and aspiring writer myself or just like just from what i know about it and learn from others what would you say got you from that point of writing like four or five pages to doing a full one shot like was there was that a challenge there to be like oh like you actually have to flesh out more of a story more of a character is that how do you how do you even begin that process i don't think sport? it's the the writing itself wasn't the difficult part more of the logistics that go into making a comic, right? If okay. you have four pages, it's pretty much easy to handle. You only have four pages to letter, to color, yep. to, to put together. But once you multiply that into a full length one shot, that's like four or five times the length. So you're dealing with a whole bunch, a lot more pages, a lot more files, which mm -hmm. take up a lot more space. It's just logistically speaking, it just becomes more difficult. Yeah. And of course, it, it gets easier over time. But um, when you're dealing with multiple issues, like a miniseries, that mm -hmm. one shot you have to put together is all of a sudden separate individual issues as part of a larger thing. So it's right. just, if you go right into trying to build a huge miniseries right off the bat without having that experience of handling all those files, mm -hmm. it can be a little overwhelming and daunting. It becomes a lot easier to make a mistake and screw up a page. Mm -hmm. So just the, the wherewithal of being able to handle all of those pages to put together into a complete comic, it, it helps to, to build up that practice rather than just jump right in the deep end. Yeah. I could see where that would be overwhelming. Be like, Oh shit. I have like 30 pages. I have to move around. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. <laughs> and I only say that because I've made the mistakes. I have <laughs> yeah. done the problems of exporting files wrong and sending them off to printers and having it look absolutely terrible Yeah, or not, not accounting for bleeds on the edges during lettering and having stuff just completely cut off like just little logistical things that have nothing to do with writing right you, right there's a lot more production and technical stuff to master as opposed to prose writing which is just write the words send it off and you're done yeah yeah that's that's the part you got used to <laughs> yeah. yeah okay so and with all that i mean where did um where did some of your first series come about? Because I think Modern Testament would be the first, right? Modern Testament was definitely the first. That was born out of the whole, let me start off making short stories. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote a short story about an angel. It was kind of like an angel, a depressed alcoholic angel drinking in a bar. It was kind of a fun story that I did as part of a, it was a, a comic writing class. Okay. And when you're done with a short story, it's nice. I have a completed story, but like, what are you supposed to do with it? You can't really print a short story and just start selling them places. So 
Uh, in order to make a full comic, I decided to carry over with that theme of angels. And I did a, a demon and a horseman of the apocalypse. And I just put it together in a one shot and I called it Modern Testament. And that's kind of how it was born. It was just trying to find a way to put this thing that I made in a comic class into a complete book. Mm -hmm. And I, I got it with an indie publisher who's now defunct. They're no longer around. But after he accepted it, he was like, do you want to continue this? And I was like, sure, why not? So I just ran with that idea of that world of biblical mythology, you know, similar to like Ghost Rider or Constantine. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of ran with it by taking all these characters, writing short stories about him. And then before I knew it, a couple of years passed, and I have this trade of 160 pages, like 15 stories. Wow. And and then after that, I was like, I think I'm done with the short story anthology. I have to <laughs> move on a little bit. But it's it was still a great bootleg, bootleg, boot camp yep. period of my comic writing where I got to really work with a whole bunch of different art teams, write a whole bunch of different stories, and and I had a, a pretty impressive uh, volume of work after that. So so when you said anthology, I mean every story contained within those trades is there several different one shots. So they follow a overarching plot. standalone. Which yeah. it's, it, mm -hmm. some people complain about that. They say, wouldn't it be cool if they were all connected in the same universe? I was like, <laughs> yeah, it would be cool, but that's not what I did. Right, like, right. I yeah. decide, there's something to be said about having one story that's just it's one focus, one story, one character without worrying about, you know, where does it fall into canon and all right. that. I wanted to give each of these characters their due without worrying about stepping on other toes or doing something differently. It just so that's what I really liked about Modern Testament was the fact that I was I wasn't looking at the big picture. I was treating each story as its own individual project mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty cool in that regard is that you could just open it open up the big volume pick yeah. out any story and just dive right in no i think that's that's that has an appeal to me for sure <laughs> yeah yeah and, and one of the things I, when i first discovered your work was modern godhood yes which uh, i believe if i remember correctly ties into modern testament because i ended up buying that later uh, but going through as I was following your work throughout the years, I like the fact that you were talking about how, like, you can go and do this giant mini series and, you know, things will go wrong along the way. You seem to take the other approach of, like, I'm just going to tell one shots for the most part. I know you got, like, the Polar Paradox, which is kind of a ongoing but mini series kind of thing. Yeah. And you've done some two issue series as well. Mm -hmm. But has that been. Is that where does that come from? Like wanting to do shorter books as opposed to telling this long epic? I don't think that deeply into it. I just have itches <laughs> and I scratch them. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of where uh, it is. I I have an idea and I'm like a dog chasing a car. I just kind of like run after it, and then before I know it, I'm like, I have 20 different stories that have nothing to do with one another. How did that happen? <laughs> so I I would say. Um, I mean, just looking at all your work, I, I get the whole like you have an itch you need to scratch because there's a lot of different. It looks like genres, characters, uh, you know, single characters, team up books, things like that. But would you say that you you've started to write more like like noir or horror or like do you do you like do you focus on one more? Or? I don't know if I focus on one more than the other. I'm, I love horror. I'm definitely yeah. a horror guy. 
And I love playing around with horror. There's all, there's like, I did Where the Nightmares Are, which is like all ages horror. I've yeah. done Hospice, which I really just leaned into the gratuitous horror. And then mm -hmm. I've done other horror, which is like creepy, obscure horror, but it's not necessarily scary. So there's all right. these different levels of horror that you could do. And, and it appeals to me. Um, I don't know if that's what I focused on the most in writing, but it's definitely one of my favorite genres. But I love everything. I love I write what I like and I like everything. So it's so it's hard to just stick in one sandbox. There's when we we're gonna have you on the show, there was one project that popped up. Chris and I had talked about it probably a year ago. Um fairly recent project, I would say then. It was Pipe Creepers. <laughs> Pipe Creepers uh, is fun. Yeah, yeah I, and I remember, like, Chris, I think you sent me the screenshot of it, like, this, look at this book. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, just, can you talk about that book and, like, where that I came about? Call, yeah. I call Pipe Creepers Blue Collar Horror. Okay. So, it's like, so the premise is um, these two plumbers go to work at this house, and it's a really decrepit old house. And somehow they get, they go into the basement to start working, and they get sucked into this Lovecraftian adventure that they yep. weren't planning on having and it's a fun book that for some reason resonates with people because it's just these two bumbling boot car guys that get yeah. stuck in this uh lovecraft kind of hard nightmare where they're completely in over their heads they have no idea what they're doing but it's also not meant to be like a scary horror it's kind of mm -hmm. a little bit of comedy i kind of it has the tone of like the burbs with tom hanks yep. that yep. movie where it's kind of like uh, in-your-face black, black comedy horror, and that's kind of what I modeled the the cover after, where it kind of mm -hmm. looks like those the the guys standing in front of the house. But it's definitely it's definitely a fun book, and it's a book where you can throw a lot at it because it doesn't take itself too seriously. I I worked for a time as a chimney sweep, so I know what it's like being on a truck, going from house to house, getting dirty, going in basements, and I kind of use yeah. that as an experience to kind of. Uh, to write and flesh out these characters in this world. Like for instance, I hated when people yelled at me to wear booties in the house, you know, those boot coverings. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I play, I play around that where I have a character that hates putting on the boot coverings, even though this, <laughs> this woman's house is a shithole. And she, yeah. And right. she wants yeah. Please wear so them. <laughs> all those, yeah. All those tiny little experiences that I kind of throw in there to make it more lifelike. Yeah. Yep. Well, like, yeah, uh, yeah, we, we always talk about on the show, like Mike's a big horror fan. I'm not really as much, but I do when I read your books, what I like about your version of horror is that it is like almost not serious in a way. Like even when you do hospice, which I'd love to get more into, like the whole hospice, um, what you guys did later. But when you did that and you say it's more gratuitous and all that, there's still kind of like there's some jokiness to it. Like the fact that the dude's weight had to be 666 pounds <laughs> and like, you know, things like that. Yeah. It just, it, it brings people like, or at least it brought me in a little bit more because I didn't feel like we were just trying to do horror for horror's sake or slasher for slasher's sake. Like we had these elements that made it more interesting for me. It all depends on the project. Um, I did a book called malady, which is horror. And it's really just depressing, character-driven, black and white horror. But um, and then hospice, hospice is more like, yeah, we're doing horror. This is going to get gross. 
and we're going to have a lot of fun with it along the way. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah, I give right. a wink to the audience that like this is something that's not going to take itself too seriously. We know exactly when I have a close up shot of a guy eating and he looks sloppy and nasty and his mouth is chewing all over the place like that's on purpose. Like we're going right to we're going to do stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of just to kind of make it fun and make you squirm a little bit. Yeah. Well, and then my I think my favorite one, which I, I'd be curious to know if you've heard this before, but like my favorite one was Cabin 818. And it's because okay. as I'm reading it, I'm just like, oh, this is Frank's therapy session. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. It feels weird when you have to write uh, a synopsis or a log line for a book and you're talking about a character named Frank Martin, who's a comic writer. <laughs> and so, like, I, I know I'm writing about myself, but I'm not writing about myself. So that ca Cabin 818 was one of your one shots, right? Yeah. It was. Yeah. That was an itch. That was yeah. one of those books where I'm like, this has no place on Kickstarter. I don't know how I'm going to market <laughs> this. I don't know how well it's going to do, but I feel compelled to tell the story. So I'm just going to put it out anyway. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the premise of Cabin 818 was uh, a comic writer who wants to get away from his family. So he rents a cabin in the woods to get writing done overnight. And it kind of turns into this weird Twilight Zone-esque horror adventure where he like keeps being stopped from writing mm -hmm. and i throw in all sorts of weird meta stuff because the character's name is frank martin uh the comic he's working on is cabin 818 <laughs> the name of the comic that you're reading yeah um and it's just it was a way for me to just to take all of my anxieties and fears and put them on the page and just kind of put them out there for just people to read i don't think writers a lot get that personal with mm -hmm. a lot of their stuff, but I wanted to, I wanted to be a little, a little meta with it. It was, you know what it was inspired by? And this is going to sound weird. It was inspired by Bo Burnham, the, the comedian who performs. And yep. it, when he gets on stage, he, he writes these songs and he talks about mental health in a mm -hmm. way that like, it's hard to do in other mediums, you know, to right. get that raw and to get that personal. Yep. And I wanted to do something similar to that. So that's kind of where it was born. Wow. That's yeah. That's really interesting. Um, and I, I did see that. I, I saw that book on, under your one shots and I know you, you just, uh, you casually dropped, uh, where the nightmares are. Uh, and, and when we asked the previous question, so we might as well start there as well. That was sure. your latest Kickstarter. So you said you're doing like kicks around six Kickstarters a year now. Projects? So, yeah, I think what was last year? 2023. Yes. So in 2021, I did five. 2022 i did five and then three in 2023 i was like i think i could fit another one in wow so i did six last year yep. i'm doing six this year and six next year so um and i think that's good my sweet spot is six if i could keep it up <laughs> so the first one being where the nightmares are right is that the first Correct. one yeah that okay. ended from when we're recording this about a week ago okay so i i love the i love the first off i love the cover but give us the rundown on that project so where the nightmares are is kind of a simple premise. It takes where the wild things are and it puts a, a horror spin on it. A little, it dives a little bit more into the horror territory um, about a girl who argues with her father about watching a scary movie and she gets pissed because he doesn't want to watch it with her. She, she says it's too scary for her and she gets transported to this magical land with these monsters who try to scare her and she doesn't get scared. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do this. I had this idea for a couple reasons. And then I, I hooked up with this artist 
And I ran this idea by him that I think his art would be perfect for, and he agreed. And the tough part was kind of giving it my own spin to it. Like, it's one thing to say, I'm going to do a nightmare version of where the, the wild things are, but that doesn't give it a purpose, you know, a mm -hmm. reason for being, it doesn't give it like a heart to the story. And I realized that my daughter loves horror and I love watching with her. So I thought if I use my relationship with her as inspiration for the core of the story, it, it allows it to become more personal to me. I think it will connect a lot more with readers. And that was, those are the kind of two things that, made this project so much fun it took a, something that everybody loves where the nightmare where the wild things are mm -hmm. and my own personal relationship with my daughter and i kind of wrapped them together and this wow. was the result that's pretty amazing yeah um the uh the premise like when you said you started on the on the project you you kind of like you said you had to find a purpose so did you have the idea at first and then you were like uh, I should probably figure, flesh this out a little more because like when you say you have six projects per year, like you know what those six projects are and you're like, okay, where the, or where the nightmares are is number one, but I don't essentially know how I'm going to work, like flesh that out or does do, are you like, do you have it all figured out for the whole year already? It really depends. So when I first approached the artist, I had the idea of, a nightmare version of where the night uh where the wild things are but i didn't really have a story to it yep and so it wasn't until i started writing that i kind of got that art and i okay. started building it up yeah but all of my projects the good thing about doing one shots that are not connected is the release schedule doesn't really matter okay so yeah. so it really depends i mean i have a plan but if one falls behind and gets delayed, if one's uh, ahead of schedule, I could just kind of move them all around mm -hmm. as opposed to just having one book, one project that I put all of my time and resources in. If that's delayed, it's kind of like I have to tell everyone I don't have anything to launch right now. Right. So I could always like have another project pick up the slack, which is good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I always... I. I joke around about it on Twitter and uh, on Discord and everything, but I always say about uh, Frank's books, I think you're the fastest uh, fulfiller in Kickstarter. So, <laughs> you're, so, you're not the first to have noticed. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming that before you even hit launch, these books are probably in hand. Am I correct? They're not in hand, but they're done. Because I, I can't really print them as I don't know how many I'll need. The, the Kickstarter has to be over. Um, but the way I view it is, first off, I don't like having things unfulfilled when I launch another one. I like to close the door on one project before I, I go into another one. So I like to have that done. But also, I want people to view my Kickstarters not as like crowdfunding a project to come to life, but purchasing something. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of projects, they say, I have five pages. I need the resources to finish the book. That's what you're funding. In which case, the book will be done in eight months or even a year in the future, as opposed to other projects like mine that want to say the book is completed. When you buy it, you're purchasing it, and it will go out to you right away. So I want people to have that different mindset of, for me that you're like, you're not going to back this thing, forget about it, and it's going to show up at your doorstep 10 months later. It's going to it's going to be a couple weeks before you get it. Mm, yeah. And I understand logistics to some people like trying to break in, like get their first book done or whatever. But that to me, as a backer, I, I wish more people 
had that mindset of like, let's close the door before we start the next thing. Cause I see a lot where either the book has just gotten to me that day and it's like, all right, we're on, we we're launching the next thing. And I haven't had a chance to read it or it got delayed, but I'm going to go to the next thing anyways. Like you guys will get that eventually, but here back my new thing. <laughs> yeah. It, and as, it, as a backer it does not sit well. <laughs> a lot of creators run into trouble when they let, projects overlap is that they're like they're robbing from peter to pay paul you know they're using this project yep. to fund this print run or using this project to pay this artist for this project and you don't really want to do that you want to keep everything separate have one thing done start the next thing or at least if you don't if you let things overlap have the discipline to not have the money crossover because then that's when you run into issues where you you crowdfund you get all this money for a project but you're using it to pay for something else and now this project's stuck in limbo and it's not getting finished so seen ton that happened to tons of creators so it takes a lot of discipline to, to run this many crowdfunding projects yeah definitely. that's a lot of pieces to, to keep together for sure um yeah. and when i mean now that we have you here at the on the show can we can you give us a maybe a timeline or a glimpse to know what <laughs> what the next project would be coming out this year? Next, next one is, I think it's going to launch March 5th. I've done like 20 plus Kickstarter projects, but never a superhero story, which is weird for a comic writer, but this yeah. will be my first superhero story. It's called our hero phenom. And the general premise of it is um, there's a hero. He's like Martian Manhunter. So he's Superman powers and he can mm -hmm. shape shift. And on earth, he looks like an earth uh, human, and he's a superhero there. He goes to another planet. He transforms into that species. And he looks like their superhero. So every planet he goes to, he pretends to be the native hero from that planet. Cool. And that's just an idea. It's not really the story or the um, mm -hmm. what actually happens in the book. But I wanted to... It's a little bit of a deconstruction of what it means to be a superhero. And it questions whether or not this this hero, this person, goes around to these planets because he wants to help, because he wants to actually uh, do as much good for the universe as he can, or whether or not he does it because he he loves the the adulation and the all the love that he gets from all these people pretending to be one of them. So it's mm. it's kind of a question of his intentions. Sounds really cool. Yeah. Is that, uh, <laughs> that going to be a one shot? That is a one shot. That is another 26 pager. That's good. I have, I say one of the complaints I get from a lot of my readers, and it's not really a complaint, but it's more like a, is that when I end <laughs> my stories, they always want a follow up or they want more. And yeah. I'm like, too bad. Like, that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> that's not what I you decided do. To, no, I decide. Well, yeah. it's, I think, good to leave on a note that leaves them thinking about the book afterwards. It doesn't okay. mean it's a cliffhanger that it's unresolved. It just means that they have, this character stayed with them after the last page and they want to continue their story. And mm -hmm. sometimes I do continue it, um, but it's, I never really, I don't really have any plans. It's all whether or not that itch comes back and I have to scratch it again pretty much. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd be curious to know then, it, you do have two books in particular that are more longer running in Grim Space and uh, Polar Paradox. Yeah. What sets those apart from the itches, if you will, uh, in those books? Like, why do those, why do you feel that sit around in those universes a little bit longer? So, Polar Paradox is more of a logistical thing. I, I met an artist at a con 
and we were like, let's do a project. And we did a, a two part story, which was the first polar paradox. And afterwards I'm kind of like, we left this a little bit open that we could do more with this. And because I had a good relationship with him, I'm like, do you want to just keep it going? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we did a, a first two-parter, a second two-parter, and then we're going to officially close out the story with a third two-parter that's going to be coming, I don't know, 2030 or whenever we finish it. <laughs> but um, Grim Space is a little different in that I it was originally a one-shot. It was just supposed to be Jack and the Beanstalk in space, like a Star Wars version of Jack and the Beanstalk. But I saw the potential to turn this into a bigger thing. Like I could do other fairy tales. So I, I put little cameos and Easter eggs, little story threads that I could pull on in the event that I wanted to keep it going. I was fortunate enough that I, I partnered with Scout Comics to put the book out to the direct market. And they were the one that pushed me a little bit to do want to keep this going. And I was like, sure, absolutely. I name dropped Pinocchio in the first story. I'm going to do a Pinocchio follow-up. And then I have a little bit of a cliffhanger in the first book. We're going to follow that up with a, a three-part story that's coming out later this year. And it's funny that you say that because everyone's like, you're the one-shot guy. I'm like, I don't want to be the one-shot guy because it's, mm -hmm. it's a little difficult to build momentum when you're bouncing around all over the place. So I see Grim Space as the book that I could really lean on and to be my, my bigger story. So next year, I'm planning for all six of my launches to be all Grim Space stories. So... Oh, I'm really awesome. so that's going to be my my long form storytelling. You know, this comes this from comes from Travis Gibb telling me all the time that I, that I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to long form stories because I only do one shot. So it's a little bit of a you know, fuck you, Travis. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my <laughs> you got proven my wrong. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But you know what it is? I get to have fun with this in that Grim Space is similar to Modern Testament in that. Each fairy tale is going to be its own standalone. You know, I'm doing a Peter Pan one. I'm doing a Cinderella, a Three Little Pigs. And they're isolated stories. But they, in for Grim Space, I did that connectivity that I didn't do for Modern Testament. You know, it's all part of the same universe. So if you just want to pick up one, you can just read one and enjoy it. But if you want to follow along from book to book, you'll see cameos, uh, character arcs that tr that carry over from one to the next. And it's, it's going to be, I'm modeling it after the MCU a little bit and that all of these stories are standalone, but I'm going to do like a big crossover at the end, like Avengers style where the characters come together and have a big adventure. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what develops in the next year. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. I, I always say like, I, I do love that you do one shots and we get a bunch of different stuff out of you, but. I mean, and I think Mike would agree with this. Like, we like all different types. Like, we love our one shots. We love our little mini series. Mm -hmm. And then Mike's been reading Batman for probably twenty years, and I've been reading Daredevil <laughs> for probably twenty years. And I like that too. So, like, everything in between works. So. It's all good. It's all good stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. all comics. It's all fun. It's just different different ways of telling different stories. Exactly. I. Uh, We've talked a lot about your comics and you, like you got some cool stuff coming out. Uh, but before we close it out, you also decided to do a new thing this year and start a YouTube channel. Oh. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, what is it? I know you had that bum Travis in the first episode. So everybody can skip yeah, that one, yeah. I, you know, I skip that <laughs> one. You know what the first episode was? <laughs> the first episode was basically telling Travis that he's has the worst grammar of a writer I've ever seen. That's pretty <laughs> It's amazing. 
So, um, yeah, I wanted to do a YouTube thing, a podcast sort of live stream. I wanted to get out there, have guests, but I wanted to do something different than, than what everybody else is doing. And I was like, what am I good at? I'm good at writing. So let me focus on writing and, and having a good time with guests. So I devised this show called Right Now, where it's basically I have guests come on and we do what I like to call freestyle writing. It's kind of writing from scratch where I come up with a theme, an idea. It's kind of more like a game show than an interview show where uh, I write a sentence and then the guest writes a sentence and we work off of each other and build a story from scratch. Mm -hmm. And, and it's so far I've had a couple episodes and they've been fun. You know, it's different to try to, to just throw things together. It's, it's really, um, it's really just off the top of our heads, not planned. We play off of each other. We do wild and crazy things coming up with these stories. And I just wanted to do something different. And I, I don't think I've seen a lot of shows out there like this. So uh, I have a bunch of guests lined up and they're all looking forward to trying it. Nice. No, that's a really cool premise. I like that idea. Yeah. And, and when you invite a writer to come on and say, hey, do you want to write something together? I mean, they can't say no to that, right? It's like, come on, they want to. <laughs> well, you know, you know what it is? A lot of writers are afraid of being that naked with their writing. Because when mm -hmm. you write, it's a solitary thing. You know, you're not right. live streaming. You're you get to edit as you go. Nobody looks at it. This is like you're writing in front yeah. of an audience. You know, people yeah. are seeing the words that are coming out. And a lot of writers are perfectionists. They want before the audience before the public consumes their writing, they want it to be absolutely perfect. Right. That's not what this is. This yep. isn't about writing a great story. It's about the journey of writing a stupid story. So mm -hmm. that's cool. It's you have to kind of throw that perfectionist mindset out the window and just try weird and new things and be different and not care about the end result, which a lot of writers can't do. You know, it's just difficult. Yeah. You gotta be yeah. outside your uh your comfort zone. It's kind of like for me, I I think of it like when you go see a comedian. And let's say you just go see the the special that ends up on Netflix or whatever. You see the final thing. It's done. It's been perfected. But that's an art form that's perfected over time in front of people. Mm -hmm. Like you can't do that solitary. But writing is the exact opposite where like you sit in a room and you write all these different drafts and you go over and over and over it until eventually you're like, all right, so now I can put it out there. Right. And people don't see that. And I think that's kind of the mystique of writing for a lot of people is they they see an Alan Moore comic and are like, look at this thing. Like, look how great this is. And they don't see the 12 drafts he did where probably eight of them, it was a piece of shit. <laughs> or, 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 you know, just not up to what we think of an Alan Moore book. So that idea of putting that out there, I think it's really great to get more people into the idea of trying writing as well. Yeah. I, I, you know what? This is not a show reserved for writers. I, mm. anybody can come on this show. Cause I am convinced Travis was like this. When I first had him on afterwards, he's like, not everybody can do this show because it's just not everybody can write off the top of their head. And I kind of want to prove them wrong. I'm kind of like, anybody can really do this. Everybody has some form of imagination. And as long as you get rid of that hang up, like I can't do this, just, just think of something doesn't have to be good it doesn't have to make sense just kind of do it and and hopefully uh i could bring non-writers on or people that think that they can't write at all and kind of coach them through and work them through the process and co-write a story with them nice 
that, yeah, that'd be very interesting. Well, Chris and I would sign up to be your first duo guests and be a hive mind. First duo guests. Yeah. Oh, the first uh, first threesome? Yeah, the first threesome yeah. on the show. If you I, need that, oh, let us know. Definitely. That would be yeah. interesting. Because so far, it's just it's been like a tennis match where it's a back and forth. Yeah, right, right. You throw in a, a third wrench in the mix. It's Well, it's gonna... it would still be a back and forth, but Chris and I have to figure out how it's going to come back to you. I don't know. Oh, so it's going to be a two-on-one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tra- yeah. Travis was joking in that um, every new guest that comes on is doing this thing for the first time, so uh-huh. they kind of have to figure it out. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'll just get better every episode. Yeah, so right. I'll, yeah. Be like, I'll be all leveled up. I'll be a level 100. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to be like the, the, you know, the grandmaster at this point. Yeah. 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 You should find like, the guy to do it. Like every year he comes up or he or she comes on. And it's just like, all right, I've now done 50 of these. And an issue fifth or yeah, episode 50, let's just say Travis. Travis comes back and he can be like, now I'm a grand wizard, Travis. Yeah. Let's see if you can keep up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the master of writing. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's- it's cool in that I, I'm trying to find ways to make the game interesting, to make the story interesting. For instance, the last one I did with Greg Mockwin, he... The theme was animals. So every sentence we had to introduce a new animal. We had to say a new animal. So it's kind of like he would write a sentence and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, you got to get rid of that. You got to figure fit an animal in there. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like, it's kind of cool to see how we kind of like play the game. And it's not just writing. It's kind of a little bit of a puzzle. Yeah. That's cool. Make things like that idea. That's a really and cool idea. Are you trying to keep the themes with your audience or with your guest? Like, Doing animals with Greg kind of makes sense. Is that the idea, or do you have like a list of themes uh, put down? You're like, this is what episode no, one's going to be. Too. I no, I don't want to make people comfortable. Want <laughs> 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 nice. to go so far out left field and make people completely uncomfortable as possible. So I'll have to go in the opposite direction next time. Uh, Mike, we're getting romance. I know it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. That, no, that would be. We do a, a sex scene where every sentence you have to take off a new piece of clothing. Oh, nice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Get the guy who doesn't like romance books and is fairly prudish to do that one. Sure. Oh, good yeah. job, Frank. Oh yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's awesome. I'd be done. Yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable writing it either, but why not? You got to jump in, right? <laughs> um, Frank, this was awesome, man. You got to you gotta come back. Uh, we'll have you back on later in the year or something. But um, I look forward to, to seeing the, the Kickstarter project. You said uh, in March? Yeah. Our Hero Phenom one shot. I think it's like 26 or something pages. Though okay. it's... They say if you're going to write an indie comic, make sure it's not a superhero story. So I'm interested... <laughs> I'm interested to see how it does. Well, it sounds like you you're going to attack this one with with the way you wanted to tell a story. It wasn't just a typical punchy punchy comic. No, no, I don't. I don't tell. I don't tell stories for the sake of telling stories. I tell stories because I have a story to tell. So, um, right. You you know when if you pick up my book that I put my heart and soul into it. It's kind of all I can really say about it. Yeah, great. And uh, if our listeners. Our watchers, followers want to follow all the stuff you're doing. Um, where can we send them? You have social media you want to, or your website. The the best place is go to prankthewriter.com and sign up for my mailing list. I send out uh, bi-monthly mailing lists where I just talk about everything going on. 
and all my projects. And uh, that's the best way to keep in contact with me and see what, what I have going on. Nice. Awesome. And for everybody out there, I will have links in the show notes down below to Frank's website, to the YouTube channel, to anything I can find that has Frank's name on it. There'll be a link for it down there for you to click and check out. So you can make sure you follow the next campaign because as I keep telling you when I talk about the books after they come here, it's good stuff. So Frank, thanks well, so thank much you. for taking the time today to talk to us. Uh, and we definitely look forward to the next time. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was fun and I look forward to the next time too. And we're wow. back. Whoa. And we're Whoa. back. Wow. Now we're back. Jeez. Got me <laughs> double, double whammy there. Yeah. So uh, Frank, Martin, check out all the stuff he's doing. Just had that Kickstarter wrap up. Uh, looking forward to having him back sometime. So good people. Yeah. And been a fan for a while. I mean, I've talked about some of his books on the show. Mm -hmm. I've backed pretty much everything he's done. Yep. So he's he's worth uh, following. Yeah. In my sure. opinion. Chris Chris gives the okay. Uh, Chris stamp of approval. Bam! There it is. Uh, comic news. So uh, this is pretty interesting. At the end of the recent Spider-Man 2099 comic, Marvel added a page that simply said coming summer 2024, 2099. <laughs> no word from Marvel as to what it means, but it's safe to assume that there will be some sort of event this summer set around the 2099 universe. Pretty hype, Chris. Are you hyped for it? <laughs> I like 29. I think 2099 is cool. I like the idea of it because I don't have to read a bunch of shit to get caught up. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm, it, I wonder if it's going to be like all 2099 books, you know, like features end style event. I like the idea of 2099. Yeah, maybe that's usually what it is. the execution, in my the, opinion. All the 29 book 2099 books I've read are kind of like, eh, but yeah. I like the idea. I know what you mean. Uh, that means, I mean, if it's who knows, because they've been doing these uh, Spider-Man 2099 books for a while. Mm -hmm. They did a little mini thing where they did like a different 2099, 2099 character for each book to tell a story that wasn't that great. At least I didn't think it was. Um, and it's all kind of helmed by a creator that, I mean, no offense to him. He's very successful and a lot of people love him, but it's usually helmed by Steve Orlando, who I'm not a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I got to see exactly what it is before I get hyped personally but it's cool that they're doing something with it i mean it's been something they hadn't done something with in so long and then all of a sudden it's just fucking everywhere i can't imagine why it's not like it's part of like a big movie or something yeah <laughs> not at all not at all but yeah. to the people I, I do know people reading it uh the spider-man stuff and loving it so to them hopefully it's great uh i'd be interested to see too because the original 2099 event was a bunch of different books like there was x-men and there was mm -hmm. dr doom and so on and so forth so we'll see if they go all all if they do that i'm out right now <laughs> yeah if it's a like five issue series and then there's some like side books i might be might be convinced to try it out cool but yeah. yeah yeah we'll see how it goes um i'm hoping for something fun I'm always hoping for something fun, Mike. I just want fun. <laughs> I just want a fun event. Uh, Marvel and DC have both been working with manga creators to bring their characters to the Japanese comic industry 
And this week we learned about some Marvel manga series coming to America later this year. Um, this one's pretty cool. The new Spider-Man manga from My Hero Academia Vigilantes creator Hideyuki Furuhashi titled Spider-Man Octagirl finished its run in Japan and is set to release with an English translation fall of this year. Uh, awesome. I'm guessing that's Doc Ock's daughter. It's about it's Doc Ock possesses the body of like a little girl or something. Oh, that's totally that's such a manga. <laughs> it's, re- it's it's weird yeah. Japanese shit, man. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. I'm so I read the Spider-Man Red they did. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think I talked about it on the show at the time. Yeah, that one was really good and it was a lot of fun. So I, I'll I'll be in on this one, hundred percent. Dude, just look at the little cat on the cover. How could you not want to? <laughs> yeah, and I like the idea of like. Because one of the things that's fun about manga is like, and I'll actually talk more about some later, but is these like putting people in weird scenarios. Right. Very awkward situations. Yeah. And and this is almost like the weirdest of weird scenarios, like mm-hmm. ultimate supervillain just being like, I'm a little girl now. It's like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's see <laughs> where this goes. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's. It's also what's nice about it, one volume in and out. Um, I'm not stuck for like a 20 or 80 volume thing. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Yeah, it looks it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, and I like that cover. That cover's fun. Like yeah, like yeah. you said, that cat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like the like the octopus hairpin in her hair. That's like yeah. a nice touch. <laughs> uh a remastered version of X-Men manga from writer-artist Hiroshi Higuchi is being reprinted for English audiences set to release fall of this year. Uh, this manga series is based on X-Men, the animated series from the 90s, and this release is to go alongside X-Men 97. That's pretty sick. I didn't even know they had a manga for 90s X-Men. Near did I. Uh, I'm, I'm torn on this one, though, because like that animated series... Mm-hmm. I brought up enough now that I can't say it's like the unknown, but it's it's the unknown part of my past of watching the show and yeah. part of me getting into comics. Mm-hmm. But I was never, I still to this day, I'm not a big X Men fan. So yeah, right. I, I'm just not sure whether I'm going to jump in on this one or not. I like they're doing it. My big issue is that I guess it's centering around Jubilee as the main character, mm. which everybody's going to come out to me is like Jubilee was kind of the main character. That, Animated series too. I get it, but yeah, um, I like the art here. It's really cool. It's just Japanese enough, while still I could see this being like an American comic as well. Right? Yeah. There's some like, there's some hints of Japanese art there. Yeah. yeah it's mostly the faces. <laughs> yeah, the faces. Yeah. 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 Yep. But Not, I'd want to because this one's multiple volumes too. That's okay. another thing. So volume one's coming out this year, and then who, I'm assuming we'll get more if it sells. Uh, I, I just want to know more. If it's a, just a retelling of the show, mm-hmm. ah, no. If it's new stories, okay. Um, but I, I'll be interested to read more about it and see what it is. Right now, I'm kind of I don't know if I really care. But I'd say I'd say are. I'm more excited for the other one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. glad this is coming back because there's probably people out there that really love this mm-hmm. and haven't seen it in a while, or yeah. are like me and we're big fans of that show and are like down to check this out. Yeah, and I think this is also another great way to what this initiative is supposed to be on both 
sides, DC and Marvel, is to bridge that gap between manga readers and comic readers. This is actually the perfect book for that because oh, yeah. it's based on something we know in terms yep. of the series. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, good for them. We'll see when it comes. Uh, Marvel announced that Ahsoka Tano is getting her own comic series for the first time. There it is. With a twist, a new series titled uh, Star Wars Ahsoka will be released this summer from writer Rodney Barnes and artist Steve Cummings and George Jeanty. Uh, the series will be retelling of the Disney Plus series Ahsoka. Oh, so it's just the Disney Plus series. <laughs> uh, interesting. The tease of this book. <laughs> yeah. For me, when I saw this re- press release, I was like, oh, finally an Ahsoka book. And I read further, I was like, God damn it. Why does Ahsoka's first solo series at Marvel have to be a retelling of a story we've already seen? So I almost wonder if they want to do more with the character that passed away on the show. Uh, maybe that's why they're doing like a recap of the show. And then they're like, now we can do the story we wanted to do. Here's but... why I won't give you that. Okay. <laughs> They've done this for every Disney Plus show. Oh, they have? Oh, yes. Okay, fuck. I there's forgot. a Mandalorian book and there's an Obi-Wan book. And they're so weird. Yeah. So it just seems to me like a way, a, an easy way to get a cash grab on the Star Wars fans. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I stand with it. I want new stories of Ahsoka. What I really want is some of those stories in between Clone Wars and Rebels. Right. Where she's just like doing her thing. Like, yeah. Get me in that space. Like, we've done novels on it. I want comics on it. Right. Get us comics. Um, yeah. I wouldn't even care if they redid the novel as a comic series. Right. Uh, but yeah, this, I just, the only one of these I've tried was the Mandalorian one. And mm-hmm. it quickly was just like, oh, yeah, I watched this show. Yeah. I've seen all this before. Um, which is a weird thing to say when we talk about what we read later, because there's a book like that I read that I really loved, but I don't know, mostly these like retelling of stories of movies or whatnot, I don't get into. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agreed. Well, it's unfortunate, but I guess we'll talk about what we read this week. Uh, I'll I'll start off with a, a review copy, Chris. I've started to dig into that folder we have. Uh this actually comes out today, folks this book if you're listening uh this is godzilla valentine's day special number one i also read this yeah uh fucking <laughs> more godzilla in this book than i you know i wouldn't have thought a valentine's day book about godzilla would have so much godzilla in it but here we are uh i i really enjoyed it it's uh by tunnel uh is writing it in paris on the art um i th- you know, the one thing that made me really enjoy it was like that side by side thing they did with the with the pages of like the left and right side was like, okay, here's a classic Godzilla villain. Here's a little excerpt about the characters and like how the relationship was tying up in between all those events. And then, you know, they it's like a it, I mean, it boils down to an enemies to lovers story, like classic romance where it's like, oh, we hate each other at first, you know, we're on opposite sides kind of like can't don't like each other and then they fall in love um i think i think overall it's a lot of fun if you're a godzilla fan if you're looking for i would i would give it my stamp of approval for a valentine's event because i usually i see those books and i'm like yeah i don't know if this is gonna be good uh i'm glad that I, i gave it a shot though so i um 
check this out out of pure morbid curiosity. Yeah. I was just like, how the fuck do you do a Valentine's Day special with Godzilla? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I come on the other side of you. Like, not that it's a bad book. I'm sure mm-hmm. people that like romance books will enjoy this. Oh, yeah. But it was very, for me, like, all right, they were enemies. Now they're lovers. Yep. I don't really like romance stories, like pure <laughs> romance stories. Right. Um. I did like I see the thing is too is what happens with these books is I get very invested in like a subplot mm-hmm. and I want that to be the plot. And so like her being a journalist who like follows Godzilla around. It was a cool storyline. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I want more of that. Yeah, right, right. And then they just like kind of don't do anything with it other than like yeah. that's what she does. I'm like, Yeah, what do you mean? That's what like <laughs> that's I, I want to see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it just, it didn't fit my taste what it was. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's a bad book or it's, the, the art is fantastic. Really it's good art. the, the writing's good. I mean, for what it is, it's just, I don't really enjoy these types of books. I would, I say, would never have paid money for this, but yeah. I would say to, to have a story where two characters can fall in love, fall in love in a, in a world where there's giant monsters destroying your city. It's like you're pretty much up against, you know, a lot of things to begin with. So I think that's a tough, a tough task in itself. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, to be fair, I like kind of going into this, I knew it was a romance book. I mean, it's Valentine's yeah, Day special. Right. So like I knew that like what I enjoy and this goes back to things I've talked about in the past where I, I try things outside of my comfort zone to see like how yep. I feel about them. I know I'm not a big romance fan. I'm like, let's try this out. I was also just in my head like how good was this pitch right <laughs> like, right yeah like to tell the godzilla team like listen we'll do a godzilla book but like it's really <laughs> about two people falling in love yeah it's like okay where's the the huge twist and to me like there wasn't that huge twist for me no. but no but once again i'm not the audience so i'm I not trying to shit on it i'm just saying i would say good. as a godzilla fan the the reveal was we got to see monsters like violante and rodan and shit like that you know like Oh, you flip a page. Oh, it's Violante. I haven't seen him in a while. You know, that kind of thing. So. I did like how they told the story over years and how yeah. like the, the, the way the panels are set up. So th- the artist does a phenomenal job paneling this because mm-hmm. the top panel is basically the whole page. Yeah. And you get the fight that's going on. Right. And then you have sub panels inside. Yeah. I think that was the story really of the cool. characters. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of good things here. It's just wasn't my style. Yep. Um, I have a few more books. I work's been crazy, so I haven't really read or caught up on a lot of stuff, but I will. I read a few things that I was behind on. Uh, Justice League Godzilla number four, Bucoletto and Duce on the art. Um, I can't remember if you talked about this one or not. I did. Okay. Fun issue Green Arrow with, uh, I was going to say Donkey Kong, King Kong fighting the League of Assassins together. Like that team up was pretty great. Uh, the big fight in the, in the, in the water with like the Kraken being released with Aquaman. That was epic. So this, yeah, this series is a lot of fun. Godzilla just released the Kraken. Yeah. He said that to release the Kraken. Uh, Batman, Superman 23, Mark Wade, Dan Mora. Uh, I thought it was a great issue. Um, lots of things happening with a team up fight to fight Gog convinced Magog or David that, um, they should be helping the heroes. And then a boom tube opens up. Apocalypse is there. Uh, they think 
Gog has the anti-life equation. Well, then Darkseid shows up, and he's like, I'll handle it. So, <laughs> dun, dun, dun for next issue. Yeah, I actually read this, too, yeah. uh, this week. Um, I'm really confused around the timeline this book takes place now. Yeah, I, I, I would assume it's before the Kingdom Come. But don't they not know about the multiverse in Kingdom Come? Yeah, so something something weird's gonna happen. Maybe they and, get their minds wiped or some shit. I don't know. And Superman becomes Superman again after Kingdom Come. Like he was yeah. it's been a while since I read Kingdom Come, and I actually have been thinking I want to reread Kingdom Come this week. But to my knowledge, he wasn't Superman. He was letting the kids do the their right. thing. Yeah, right. And then he comes back as Superman, but he has yeah. a new suit, and in this it seems like he just has a cl- more classic suit. Right. So I'm like, where are we? <laughs> I mean, I'm having fun with it. Yeah. And I'm not like when I'm reading it, I'm not asking these questions. I'm just enjoying the ride. Mm-hmm. But when I'm done with it and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, so I like there's hints that it's before, there's hints that's after. I have I'm a I have an idea Mark Mark Wade's gonna tie it all together at some point at the end of here. I'm sure he will. Yes. Yeah. But it, it's fun along the way to ask these questions and oh, yeah. think about it deeply. And then for Dark Side to show up, be like, oh shit. Yeah. So. Yeah. But so it like, did want. It did make me like go back and be like, I haven't read Kingdom Come in a long time. And I, I think. Should... I don't think you're the only one, Chris, because they're probably selling a lot more trades of Kingdom Come. <laughs> well, I have one on that yeah. shelf. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I have the absolute edition. I got to read it. Yeah. Yeah, I just have a floppy, like a because mm-hmm. I have the floppies of it too, but I have um just a trade of it. Yeah. And. And yeah. But it's been years since I've read it. But like it's you not said, not on my yearly read, read list. Yeah. You know, it's still an enjoyable series, and I'm yeah, like I'm waiting to see how he ties it all together. Yeah. Uh, uh Superman ten, Williamson Redondo. I think you did, talked about that one. Real quick, did you read the annual for the Superman? An- annual. No, when did that come out? The world's that, finest. That came out this week. No, I I haven't read anything from this week. No. Okay, I, yeah, I'll just jump in real quick while we're yeah. on World's Finest, though. Yep. Um, I really like the annual. Um, the bee, what the hell was her name? Beehive story was mm-hmm. kind of eh. Uh, the first story in it you're gonna love because it's in the fifth dimension. And nice, it's, uh, Batmite and Mixoplex. Oh, amazing! And they're just us league. Oh my god, it's a blast, and it sets up the next story arc for world's finest so mike that means we're getting mixoplex and batmite <laughs> dude mark wade just gets it man yeah uh and then the travis mercer dennis culver story with uh the absorbing man mm-hmm. uh, or not the absorbing man um element man element man thank you yeah yeah Absorbing man's marvel uh was fun but it just kind of made me it gave me hints of like, I want more of this. Mm-hmm. And they were definitely setting up a story that could be longer because yep. they do kind of give you his origin. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in his dad and like his whole th- part of this. And then he has an adventure. Uh, and I don't want to spoil too much, but then like he meets somebody and it sets up this path where they could just leave it. But yeah. it would be really cool if they got to tell the story. That's cool. Um, in like a five, six issue series or something. Uh, all in all, I thought it was a really great annual. Cool. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty excited to read it. Um, 
And then the last, I, so I read Superman 10, which you talked about. I thought it was a solid issue with um, the villains teaming up to fight Superman and they wanted to kill Lex. So, uh, and then Jay Garrick, the flash number four, Adams and Ortegui on the art. We get the like origin and the timeline. So like talking about like really retconning, retconning JSA stuff. Uh, so we find out Hughes created the flash um, and rather than the, the like Jay Garrick breathing in superheated steam like he does in the original comic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Adams like writes it that he was doing experiments using hard water molecules and like a combination of chemicals. So they, they try to science it a little more, Chris. Oh, so he still breathes in super. <laughs> yeah. So like what he, it's really weird because like Hughes like gets Jay Garrick because he's like this guy will be he's like experimenting on people for like to like unlock the metagene. It's like not working. So he like puts him in this lab with like a one way mirror and he like presses this button. So it like tips the lab bench and all the chemicals spill everywhere. And he like that's his experiment is like all the all the chemicals going everywhere. So he creates the flash and then he finds out the flash has a daughter, Judy. So like he he disappears for a while. Then he comes back and he then he he does another experiment on her <laughs> and turns her into the flash. Uh, so we find out that he had this, he gave this diary to this guy um, in the present time. And he basically has him create star labs. And with this diary and says like, you can create star labs. I'll help you do it. As long as you do all these experiments for me on the side while I'm funding the research of star labs. Uh, and that's kind of like what Judy and Jay Garrick find out in the present time. Um, that oh he's still alive and we don't know where he is dr elemental is actually the name of, of hughes but uh so then they get attacked jay and and judy do because they're trying to find professor hughes um now that he's still alive and they get attacked at the end of the issue so it's very interesting uh i yeah i mean it's an enjoyable book for sure because we get a lot of like flashbacks of the jsa like fighting dr elemental and stuff but um, it was really hard for me to see where they're going with the JSA in these books. Like, I don't know. It's hard for me to see the focal point of what's happening. Like, we gotta, we gotta, folk, we gotta, we gotta kind of dial it all in here. <laughs> it, yeah, because I'm only reading Wesley Dodds, and I, that just feels like a solo book. It doesn't feel like it's yeah. really tying into anything. But the JSA book itself, yeah, it does at this point feel like it's just leading up to a legion book so. right right that's, <laughs> that's yeah. weird yeah that's all i really got to though i have a bunch of other stuff i need to read okay uh so on top of the two we talked about that i read uh mm -hmm. duke number two came out and this is duke on the run he goes to find an old friend who's like i'm sure these are all gi joe characters so i apologize to that community i just don't i don't follow gi joe but he finds this guy who just like is really good with uh really good mechanic mm -hmm. and like kind of a ladies man. So like when you meet him, he's got some woman that's in his bed and he can't remember her name. So like he gets <laughs> in trouble for it. Yep. Uh, but he, he takes the device he, that Duke's given and figures out what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a car tracker. I, they're, they do more like sciencey shit with it, but that's essentially what it is. So okay. in my head, I'm like, okay, so this like tracker is to track a transformer. Mm. Like that's gotta be where they're going with it. Yep. Uh, they get attacked by two more random guys who are, I'm assuming GI Joe characters uh, at this junkyard and get taken in and arrested. And mm -hmm. uh, 
put into this like underground facility where they're held and they're going to be brought back to the, the military to face their consequence. And as they're talking about, like, we need to get out of here. We need to figure out our next move and everything. A character in the cell next to them pops up. And it's actually a G.I. Joe character I know, oh. which is the Baroness. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, one of the villains um, that works for Cobra. So uh, good issue. Just a lot of action. Uh, I, I really I just I love that first issue in the setup. I'll be interested to see more how they follow that because this mm-hmm. one just kind of felt like this was a man on the run action movie this issue right and uh but but really good so cool titans beast world number six came out mike oh yeah uh the finale of titans beast world uh so i won't get too much into it but like other than to say, because it's in the first couple of pages, we were talking about who Dr. Hate is, and it is the version of Raven that was in her, like, gem, mm-hmm. the demonic version. So that version got out, and that's okay. what Dr. Hate is. So I th- I can't remember what we said last week, but I felt like we said something like that, and we were right. Yeah, we thought it was an evil version. And uh, then the, the heroes go and, like, try to cure the different people of their affliction. And it kind of goes south because they find out something along the way that leads to the ending. I don't want to spoil it for you, Mike. So that's why mm-hmm. I'm being coy. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. We'll talk about more next week after you've read it. But like, okay. I'll be interested to see where it goes because it's while this ends Beast World and does a great job. Or sorry, yeah, Beast World and does a great job of it it definitely sets up like the next thing. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, we'll talk about that more next week. Good issue though. Batman off world number three. Uh, so Batman got left on that planet in the last issue and quickly his, uh, compatriot from the ship comes and finds him. Uh, and he's, there's a bit of a time jump because he was able to help the people of this planet. And now he has like this alien space dog, that he's tamed. Mm. That's the thing Batman does in this. Okay. And they go back up in space and are like, and he's like, Hey, we gotta go back to that ship and we need to take it over and like avenge these people. Uh, because that's what I came out here to do. And I'm not going back to Gotham until I finish my mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce has a sex with an alien. Okay. He creates a new suit that that's has cool. like energy pulses coming out of it. And, uh, shockingly, Mike, he infiltrates the ship and defeats them. Okay. Um, and then they set up the next villain, who we find out there's somebody pulling the uh, strings of these guys above them. Uh, once again, there's some weird things happening here. It's a fun book. It's good. It's just not the Batman I really like. Yeah. I think Jason has a good eye for the character. He's just putting him in a situation that I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will keep reading it because got to support my boy, Jason. Then my last floppy, and then we'll get into some trades I read, <laughs> is Avengers Twilight number two. Nice. And in this, we get the Defenders' plan on kind of how they're going to free everybody with Cap. And while they're doing that, we we find out that the Thunderbolts have been re, like they've used that name 
for this like elite special ops group and known as the Thunderbolts Patrol. And they're going to be sent out to attack Cap. Uh, the Defenders and Cap go to this New Year's Day celebration and they hack into a broadcast to give a big speech. And what's fun about it is I said the first issue was like Dark Knight for Cap. This mm-hmm. kind of continues that because it really is Cap giving this like classic speech of like, you know, they're they're the man's keeping us down and we got to be free and all that shit. And just nobody cares. Cause we're in a different world now. Like it's not the same. It's not 2000 or whatever. It's way into the future. And, uh, yeah. And so he goes back and he's really, he's trying to figure out what he can do and how he can fix this problem and everything. And we leave him with kind of a depressing note of like, I don't know what to fucking do. Mm-hmm. And then the side story is Tony Stark's son, who is kind of fighting against them and creating all this, this armor for the cops and everything. He's convinced to take on the mantle of Iron Man to fight Steve because they believe that the best way to defeat Cap is with Iron Man. They're wrong. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And we find out the man that raised this kid who's like, who's they're calling Jarvis, but it's not really Jarvis because Jarvis is already old in the present. Is actually the Red Skull the whole time. Mm. Red Skull's been kind of pulling the strings which okay. really explains the fascism part of all this, Mike. Yeah, that would that would explain it when you have a Nazi involved. <laughs> and we find out that not only is he pulling all the strings, but he's also, during H-Day, what attacked on H-Day was Ultron. And Ultron was destroyed, but Red Skull was able to keep his head. Mm. And now he has him trapped in this computer, and he's helping him along the way. It ends up being that their whole plan is like, we need to set up these events so that basically Red Skull can live out his days as like a tyrant, even though he's not in charge, like frontly in charge. Mm-hmm. He's behind the scenes as the puppet master. And then when he dies, he's just like, and then I'll try and you do what the fuck you want. Like, you can take <laughs> over humanity. I don't care. Go I'll be it. dead. Nice. <laughs> I love this series. It's been the two issues, but it's been really great. And cool. um, they're doing a lot of cool things. All right, sticking with comics. So I finally finished Adventures on the Planet of the Apes. Oh, nice. That's what I was talking about earlier. Um, this literally is a retelling of the first two movies. Oh, cool. Uh, they don't really get into anything else. It's just that. But I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's kind of neat to see those classic movies retold in that way and to relive them. Uh, at the end of the day, if I was to... I mean, and this is what I'm getting, but if I was to get a new Planet of the Apes comic, I wouldn't want it to be a retelling, uh, right. much like my Star Wars comics. Yeah. I would want something new in you the world. New stuff, yeah. But I think this one was handled really well, and I just like that classic art style to go along with those movies. So, mm-hmm. good stuff. But uh, I think you'd have to be a big Planet of the Apes fan because it's, uh, yeah, it was $100 on the bus. Jeez. <laughs> so, that's a lot of money. And then I read some manga this week. So Rooster Fighter Volume 5 came out. Oh, nice. Back and I finally read it. Uh, in this volume, so now we find out that the uh, the demons that they've been fighting are being controlled by devils. Okay. So now the roosters have to go fight the devils, but the devils are too powerful. I'm starting to realize this book is just Dragon Ball Z. 
Yeah. But it has chickens in it, so I love yeah. it. Yeah, more power and more powered people. And uh, one of the chickens gets a gun because we find out that like she works for the government. Oh. It's weird, but uh, you, you just go with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and the way they're controlling them is with these little like brain slugs that go inside of the, the demons and mm-hmm. control them. And they've had this little chick along with them throughout the journey who's been kind of a liability. But now they know that uh, this chick can go inside of the demons and like find the brain slug and take care of them. So they task the chick with that. And then the volume ends, spoilers for this, but the volume ends with the brain slug killing the chick inside of them. So that's a great way to fucking end it so that I have to wait four months for the next volume. Yeah, what the hell? But Rooster Fire is a blast, man. Yeah, and and we get fucking roosters with guns in this. So yeah, sounds amazing. And then I bought, I told this is really good. So I checked it out Spy X Family. Oh, I've heard that's good too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it starts off really slow. Yeah. So it's tough to get into, but once you get into it, I love the concept. So basically it's this guy who's a spy and he's like, he's basically James Bond. He's the Mm -hmm. best spy. It's kind of a fictional world. Yeah. So they don't say it's Japan or whatever. They say it's like, I forget the name of the country, but he's that. And he's tasked with this mission to infiltrate this like school. Mm-hmm. But to do it, he has to have a family. So he has to find a wife. He has to find a kid and go infiltrate the school. He goes to the adoption agency, adopts this kid. Kid happens to be a telepath because why not? Why not? Finds a woman who's willing to marry him and help him with this kid. Just happens to be an assassin because why not, Mike? <laughs> right. Uh, and that's the plot there. Okay. That's uh, cool. So the first couple of volumes are that it's him like trying to find the pieces to the mission. And that's why it can be uh, rough to get slow. into, slow yeah. to get into. But once they get into the school and you meet kind of the cast of characters and everybody's interacting, it's so much fun. That's so, cool. Yeah. I would recommend this to anybody that likes kind of the spy stuff. Cause there is a lot of that in it, mm-hmm. but it's just such a wacky concept that I don't even know who it's for. Really. It's just good. And it's well drawn. So, some good books. Nice. Mike, that was everything I read this week. I've been enjoying manga lately, too, so that's good. I've been on a kick. Uh, I actually just bought... So I got a big gift. I So we had a company Christmas party mm-hmm. in the middle of January, and I won a bunch of Amazon cards there. Nice. And I bought... So I bought that. I bought um, more delicious... That's how I got delicious Dungeon Volume 2. Nice. I bought this book called Astro Lost in Space that I heard's really good. Oh, okay. And then I bought Dr. Stone, which I heard is also really good. So, I heard that's good, yeah. Yeah, and we're trying some new stuff here in the next couple cool. of weeks. Sounds awesome. But Mike, uh, yeah, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Fortress Ricker on Twitter. Where can they find you and or the show? Oh, you can find me at Fortress Chris on pretty much any social media network. And you can find the show at Fortress Comics underscore or at fortresscommonnews.com. And if you want to support the show, uh, best ways to do it are five-star reviews in the podcast of your choice to like, subscribe, share, comment down below on the YouTube version of the show, or go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash fortresscomics. Thank you all so much for uh, watching and or listening this week, and we'll see you all here next week.